1: Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic. And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time to drop the puck. Time for the Nightcap. Your home for news and insider info on your Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. Let's hear from the goalie. Here's Lindsey Brown.
2: Nightcap. Uh, my name is Lindsay Brown. I hope this finds everyone well and sheltered in their homes, wherever you are, whenever you are. Uh, make sure that you, if you haven't listened to everything that we have on the Nightcap feed, just make sure you go download that Radio.com app or on the Apple Podcast feed. Search out the Nightcap, include the the, and uh, you can find everything Golden Knights hockey related, any conversations that we've had over the last few months, and 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 including this one that we're about to record now. And Joining us today uh, uh, for a very special edition of the Nightcap, making her day Uh, She just finished her 10th season as the head coach of the women's hockey program at the College of St. Scholastica up in the always balmy Lake City of Duluth, Minnesota. Head coach Jackie McMillan. Hello, Jackie. How are you?
3: Good. Thanks for having me, Lindsay.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and as I said, you're a head coach of St. Scholastica up in Duluth, Minnesota, but ironically, uh, you're down in the Las Vegas area, and I'd say I, this is, I would say this is probably a more favorable spot for you to kind of ride out whatever storm we find ourselves in than it would be up in the up in the colder nick of the woods uh, up there near Lake Superior.
3: Yeah, we'd already been um, off campus, or ordered to stay off campus for about a week prior to me uh, coming down here. It's kind of going a little bit stir-crazy. Sort of inside my house we still had plenty of snow on the ground and it was cold outside so um i had planned on coming down here to visit my mom and uh decided instead of obviously not flying was not a good option so Mm -hmm. put my dog in the car and drove on down
2: how was the drive was it scenic
3: yeah i'd say you know until you get to about denver colorado uh it's pretty pretty bland but once you get there then it's uh it's a lot it's really scenic and it was a pretty drive uh you know i really enjoyed it
2: yeah, absolutely. I made that drive myself just a few months ago and you're absolutely right up until Denver. It's just corn, corn, open fields, but regardless, it's it's great to have you down in this area. Unfortunately, I, we won't be able to do, we're not doing this in person. It would be really nice if we could do that, but we are working with it. But Jackie, I just wanted to have you on today, kind of talk about you and your career as a coach, your career as a player, and just you know have talk some shop with you because the, you're from Minnesota originally, just like me. You played goalie all the way up through, through college and through the national teams, uh, like me. And so I just wanted to kind of uh, pick your brain on the path that that brought you to the point where you are now, as I said, in your 10th season as the head coach of St. Scholastica. And I found, I found really no better place to, to start than the beginning where you, you grew up in Buffalo, Minnesota, and, and you started playing hockey at age 5. And I wanted to ask you, uh, because my dad played hockey growing up, but he ended up playing collegiate football at Augustana. But he was really excited when I told him I wanted to play hockey. But on the first day of practice, when we walked into the locker room, I saw goalie pads for the first time, and I just knew—I knew, knew Jackie—that I wanted to play in those. And then my dad became slightly less enthused. But you're in a different situation yourself because your dad played goaltender and played in college as well.
3: Yeah, I think um, you know. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear this, and not many people know it. But I was kind of forced into the position. Um, Played out until about peewees and and uh, then because of my size and because I was, you know, playing boys hockey, um, you know, it was it was getting pretty imperative that I that I made the switch, and and it happened just by, you know, kind of a fluke instance where one of our goalies couldn't um, attend a last tournament that our team was in, and if we didn't have a goalie, we weren't going to be able to play in the tournament. So I volunteered, and then right after that made the transition and it wasn't really actually a position that I wanted to actually play in it just happened to be that if I wanted to play in hockey at that time I you know I had to play that position because I was you know a smaller smaller female and you know we're getting to that point of checking. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah absolutely at the peewee level that's when you really start people or you start seeing people hit growth spurts and obviously girls hit a little bit earlier but as you said, the checking aspect, that's when a safety concern kind of comes in. And so when you started playing hockey, so your dad, did he did he just say, don't play goalie, or did you just not really naturally gravitate towards it at all until you really had to and you were forced to in that position?
3: I think, you know, I, I had tried it early on, and, and I think, you know, he didn't really force me into it or anything like that, but, um, you know, I knew obviously it was a position that he played, and he, you know, I think he wanted me to play goalie. Um, but I really loved, you know, playing out. I was a forward at the time and, you know, I loved skating and, you know, just, you know, being a part of that part of the play. So, um, you know, I think, you know, it was, you know, when I was kind of forced in that position, obviously he kind of stepped in and supported that. And, you know, I just loved hockey and I wanted to play.
2: Yeah, totally understandable. And I think it worked out pretty well for, for you. You ended up being the captain of your boys high school team, uh, in Buffalo, For me, that kind of just blows my mind because I I was part of that kind of first wave when girls hockey was available at U10, U12, U14 levels, and so I went straight into it, but at the high school level, and and you were playing playing goalie at that point, but being a, a female on that team what what did what did it mean to you to have your teammates vote for you or were you selected by by the coaches you know just to be in that leadership position because you're obviously unique in the room by just being a female hockey player versus everyone most I'm, I'm assuming there weren't any other uh girls on the team but maybe I'm mistaken
3: no there weren't um and we actually our high school started girls hockey I think it was my junior year um but I was already been starting on the on the boys team mm. um you know it's it's funny because I just reconnected with one of my past teammates this past week, you know, just had a, a, a unique situation. Um, and they were super supportive of, of me playing. Um, you know, it wasn't always easy along that journey, but you know, that the community that I was in and, and they just saw me as a hockey player. And I think, you know, that was, you know, one of the biggest things in my experience is, you know, I, that's all I wanted to be seen as is just a hockey player and not as a, you know, A special circumstance as a girl playing on a boys' team. I just wanted to be seen as a hockey player, and 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 my community really accepted me in that
2: right I think we all just kind of want to be just like everyone else especially when it's just being being a woman or being a young girl in the sports sphere sometimes it, it some people look look sideways it looks weird it was it's much different now but but still you definitely get some weird looks but so but but that being said it is you were part of that first wave into women's hockey I mean and you you were in that first recruiting class for for the University of Wisconsin-Madison you 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 have tons of records there you were on that U22 team I, I mean it, there, you have tons of accolades but what who did you look up to what was your goalie kind of person that when you watched him or or her play uh that you were like I want to model my game after them or were you just type of uh, the type of person that just said I am I am the goalie that I am and I'm going to pe- piece it together the way I think it is the best
3: well when I got to college um you know obviously there you know you look up to the the people or the women that were part of that 1998 mm-hmm. Olympic team you know Sarah Dacosta and and Saratini and things like that but um you know at the University of Wisconsin we had a a men's goalie there uh named Graham Melanson and and, you know I just I was fascinated by watching him play and and he was a smaller goaltender as well and um really kind of started picking up on things that he was doing and how he was making himself look bigger in the net than he actually was and kind of started to model my game after him and Mm-hmm. and coach Bill Howard who was the goaltending coach there at the time um and really kind of just you know took off from there in in my first couple years of college <laughs>
2: So was that just watching them playing games and practices and then like kind of conferencing after the fact? And, and when you say bigger in the net, because we're in Las Vegas, hockey is, is this is a hockey hotbed here as much as I've seen it, Jackie. But it's still relatively new. What were you doing before like in the way that you were playing? And then how did you change it? Was it just simply like where you were positioning your arms or perhaps standing up a little bit more and, and uh, shortening your stance a little bit?
3: Yeah, I think you know playing more, you know, a step out above the top of the crease and and really kind of making myself you know bigger in the net a little bit smaller. Um, but yeah, you know, also part of that was standing up and and stuff. But you know, you know, I realize that Minnesota is a little bit different than it here is and it is here in Las Vegas. But you also have a goaltender playing for the Knights that isn't very big, and
2: he also makes himself look pretty big at times. Oh, absolutely. And he's an absolutely treat to watch uh, that being Mark Andre Fleury. And, and that's what, that's what you have to do as a smaller goaltender as well. you know, I, I'm not small uh, compared to most, but still, like I was five8. you have to be able to, to be able to move and be athletic because even if you are a little bit deeper and a little bit bigger, if you find yourself too deep because once you start moving, momentum pushes you back into the net, you have to make sure that you can get across and recover quickly. I mean, that's kind of the bread and butter of, of athletic goaltending in general, right?
3: Yeah, and I would say, you know, the, your ability to read the play and understand certain situations is another key factor, especially when you're a smaller smaller goaltender. Um, you know, and that was one of the things. You know, I saw the ice very well. I saw, I saw the game and the play is developing a lot better than most. Um, probably because, you know, I, I, I loved watching the game. And, you know, I think that's something that we're missing out on with kids growing up today. Um, you know, you, you see the smarter players that, you know, they they actually watch the game of hockey. They, they don't just puck watch. They watch what's happening beyond, you know, away from the puck. And and I think, you know, like if you're going to be a smaller goaltender, you, you really have to understand the way things develop and read the game really well.
2: I couldn't agree with you more on that statement. I, I that's where you really pick up the intricacies because it's so easy to watch just the puck when you're watching the game. But I always said to my players when I was still coaching in Minnesota, I'm like, if you see a player taking a shift, even if he's not in the camera, you need to be visualizing what you think he or she is doing and watching what they're. How are they going to the bench? How are they approaching each play? Are they standing up more? Are they are they looking behind their shoulders? That's those are the little things that really separate players between being okay to good and then good to great. And so I I completely agree with that. In terms of, I feel like when you're reading the plays, you can, you can improve that a little, but it's definitely something that has to be developed from a young age. And like you said, you played forward. So there's, there's for sure a different type of just experience and lens that you're viewing the game from that I think definitely played well for your goaltending uh, side. But in terms of the mental side of goaltending, because we all have those goalie demons in our head, especially when times aren't going super well and you couldn't stop a beach ball if, if, if your life depended on it. How did that change and develop through high school and college? And, and How did you take that and what you learned and applied it to coaching as well?
3: Well, I think in goaltending, especially the mental side of the game, is probably the most important factor. Um, you know, and that was, you know, like I said, you know, I had, you know, certain strengths, but uh, I don't, I don't think technique and ability were, were my strength, um, in goaltending per se, but you know, my, the mental part of my game and the way I read the game, you know, the mental part was probably the biggest factor because, you know, I always believed that I was very good. And sometimes that, you know, people might've looked at it looked at that as overconfidence, Um, but I think you have to have a certain type of mentality to be able to get over things quickly in order to succeed in that position.
2: Oh, absolutely, and that's that's what I mean by the demons because it's so easy to get down on yourself and to have just like this little voice in the back of your head, not necessarily saying that you're bad, but just chipping away, just being like, ah, oh, we probably could have picked up that goal, we we could have done A, B, C, and D better. But that's when, if you're if you're spending time and energy and and brain power thinking about that, that's time, energy, and brain power that's being taken away from the focus, from staying in the moment. And and as you said, you have to have a, a really uh, good grasp of of short-term memory loss or at least uh being able to do that because it's just so easy to get into those spirals especially at the high high levels i feel like that's really where it separates people
3: yeah and, and and obviously you know there's there's another added component to that you know you're gonna make mistakes hockey is a game of mistakes it's it's you know taking that as a positive and learning from those mistakes and growing and developing out of that and you know, if if you have the ability to do that, and and the work ethic to go along with it, you're gonna you're gonna do things that you want to be able to do in hockey.
2: Since I asked you about Coach Matthews, who is my head coach at at Saint A's, you and I met about ten years ago because I was uh, in a position after leaving Ohio State after a season where I was looking for a new co- college and a new team. And I had a lot of people uh, that played for you up in St. Scholastica, and you guys had a relatively new program. And so you had recruited me in high school, and I was really excited to get up there and go for the visit. And I had a good time. And I remember sitting in an olive garden with you and some assistant coaches and and definitely not skimping on the bread. But I was almost (laughs) ready to commit right away, Jackie. But on that last day of that visit, you sat me down in your office. And maybe I'm misremembering, but you told me, I know that this probably isn't the right spot for you. And you and you were the one that actually forwarded me along to Coach Matthews and, and gave me her contact information and really set a lot of things in my life on course. I just wanted to always ask you, because first of all, thank you so much for for what you did and, and and for realizing that and being honest with me. But I was just wondering, because you're a coach, you, you, you have the experience. You have to be able to read people and, and see how people are without them really telling you what's going on in their own head. How did you read me in that situation?
3: I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with, I mean, it, it is super important, especially at our level when you're recruiting and you're building a team, to make sure that you're getting similar, like-minded players. And and a lot of it has to do with the environment, you know, the environment of the school that you're in. Um, and you can't really force something on somebody that's not really a good fit for them all the way around. It has not a whole lot to do with, just the team but just overall the big picture of things and and what the what that student athlete has in mind what their goals are in life and you, you kind of get a sense of what's a good fit for them and and what you have on your campus and your program um and what their wants and needs are and it has to be you know it has to be a mutual agreement for both and I think I kind of saw that in you but I also knew that there was you know another opportunity that would be probably a good fit for you after kind of getting to know you over that course of that 24 to 48 hours, you mm-hmm. know, that, that I knew somebody who I had a lot, a lot of respect for. And obviously I knew you were a great goaltender. So I wanted to make sure you landed in a place that was going to be a, you know, that you'd have a good experience. And, and obviously, you know, the people that I really, you know, think are, you know, going to be great players and, and good teammates for a program. I, you know, I'm going to send those to her if they're not good fit for us.
2: Well, I appreciate that and the nice words that you said. It was I was in a very, very confused and lost place in my life at that time, and I think you were one of the first people to kind of put some writing on the wall that I didn't realize that I had written myself, but I was kind of ignoring in a way. So again, thank you so much for for doing that for me and 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 all and everything that kind of spurned from that. Now I do before I let you go, Jackie, I do have a couple of questions submitted from a, a couple of our listeners here, so please bear with me. They're coming. This one's coming from Max in New Brighton. Uh, he asks, what's your pregame ritual as a coach, and do you ever, say, play NHL on PlayStation to perhaps pass time before games?
3: If I, know who, I, if I knew who submitted this question, he was actually a part of our program for four years, and this is really funny. Darn it. Um, you know, I it thought seems... I could
2: sneak it from by, <laughs> right by uh... <laughs> It's
3: his, his sister actually just is graduating this year from St. She She's the captain for us this year.
2: Right. Um,
3: but... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends. It, it changes with the staff that I have. Um, you know, sometimes I, I, I love picking up a stick and I love playing with a puck or a ball or, or things like that. Um, you know, there's certain, certain places that I stand on a bench for the national anthem, you know, certain things that I think about each time that it's played. Um, there's just a lot of little things and it's not a whole lot different than probably when I was a player, just little ticks that you have. Little rituals and habits that you have, and some t- some of them change a little bit. Some of them are still the same, but it, you know, a lot of it depends on where you're at, what rank you're at, who you're playing, things like that.
2: Oh, for sure, it's it's a security thing, it's a control thing in, in many ways. Uh, what what do you think has changed the most about coaching for you since you started and where we find ourselves now and just the way that 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 the student athletes are or maybe it's an aspect of that that's changed in your job what do you think has really uh I don't know revolutionized since you started
3: I would say you know it's changed a lot in the past five to ten years I would say the relationship that you have with your student athletes is so much more important than it ever used to be. I mean, I remember when I was a player, you know, I I didn't really care, you know, not, not anything against any of the coaches that I have, but I didn't really care if I had a relationship with them or, you know, if if they talked to me a whole lot, it never really mattered to me. Um, But I see now how much it matters to the student athletes that we have now and how much, harder they'll play for you you know the better the relationship is that you have with them and and sometimes it takes a lot of work you know some of them are closed off and some of them you know you know may make it seem like they don't want to have a relationship with you but deep down you know that they do um and it's in it's, you know how do you reach them and how do you connect with them and i've done a lot of work in that in that regard um you know I've always you know, in terms of the game and coaching on the ice, the X's and O's, like, that's always been a strength of mine. But, you know, it's, I've struggled with the, you know, the, especially when I was a younger coach, like, you don't want to get too close to your players because you're closer in age to them. For sure. um, but really working on that relationship piece with them, you know, the older that I get and knowing how critical that is to their success and your success as a team.
2: For sure. I think we're just starting to kind of realize as a, as a general population how much psychology is tied up in performance. And it seems kind of obvious, but like you said, as a coach, the sometimes the game itself comes more naturally. But in terms of managing people, being kind of a, a, a psychologist, a parent in, in some ways and shapes and forms, uh, that, that's such a, a, a bigger responsibility. But if you're willing to listen and be open and put the time in, the rewards that you can reap from that and and what that's going to translate to on the ice and within your own team, that's invaluable. And that's one thing that I know that Coach Matthews sh- shared in that same philosophy that you had. It was just very much uh, not just about the student athlete, but the person that puts on the jersey and puts on the backpack every day because it's not just a, a segmented personality. It's one cohesive unit. Yeah, I think the,
3: and the bigger component to that is just um, their ability to trust you I mean mm-hmm. a lot of that you know the trust isn't just saying good job all the time it's them knowing that you know you're going to be honest with them and and sometimes that honesty might be hard for them to hear but if you're consistent in in how you are and how you interact with them they they're they're going to trust you a lot more and be able to take some of that criticism and that feedback and um, you know it's going to be easier for them to hear that stuff. I think you know trust is a big component
2: of that and and, and it goes both ways. Oh for, for sure and it's and you get there in different ways when you're coaching uh, 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 female hockey players versus male hockey players. It's not an, not right or wrong but it's just there are different motivational tools that we're all kind of brought up with that it's nobody's fault but it, it's a much harder navigation for, for women and just for being in a competitive environment a lot of wires can get crossed in many ways. Well, Jackie, I don't want to keep you any longer. I want to make sure you get plenty of pool time here in Las Vegas. So thank you so much for joining us here on the nightcap today. And uh, we hope that we can have you on uh, again in the future, hopefully in studio after all of this kind of, you know, settles down.
3: Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. And, and again, I uh, I'm I'm a little bit bummed that I'm not able to
2: experience
3: uh, uh, a night's game. I I hear it's quite the show and quite the atmosphere to go to. But uh, hopefully, the next time around when I come next spring, it'll, I'll be able to see some uh, see a game.
2: I'll tell you this, Jackie, and, and you and I are both fr- from Minnesota. That's about as, as pure as it gets. You'll never have an experience like you ha- like you will have at a Golden Knights game. It is the loudest place I've ever been, and it is the most fun I've ever had at a hockey game. So I will for sure make sure that we get tickets next spring when everything uh, is, is good and ready to go. Thanks again, Jackie. Sounds great.
1: Thanks. The Nightcap Podcast with Lindsey Brown is produced from the Las Vegas-based studios of CBS Sports Radio 1140.